wonder if you can cast your mind back and remember when we used to meet on Sunday mornings, like in the same place, all together, like one foot from each other, and none of us gave it a second thought. We were shaking hands, we were talking moistly into each other's faces, uh, we were hugging. Those were the days, right? Well, if you can remember uh, Sunday morning church, then you will know that you learn a lot about people on Sunday mornings, right? And Sunday mornings taught me that people like clarity. They love clarity. They need it even. And what I've learned about people on Sunday is don't, don't, don't give them options or choices. Let me explain. You know, the worship leader says, during this next song, feel free to stand or sit. Well, what happens in that moment? Me, if I'm stood there, ready to worship with that one phrase, you've lost me for the first verse of that next song, as I'm sneakily trying to look out and try to work out what other people are doing. Because whatever they are doing, 99% of the time, I will follow suit. So if everyone chooses to sit, then you are a unique and a brave soul if you keep on standing to worship or you're so caught up in the presence of God that you're simply not aware of what's going on around you. So don't give us options. You just have to tell us what to do. Yeah, as, 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 as human beings, I think that we thrive on, on, on clarity. And here's what we find is that the more wide reaching the consequences are, the clearer we want our instructions. Okay, here's an example. If I'm in McDonald's, I don't want you to be commanding me to eat the chocolate ice cream instead of, you know, the other one. No, I don't. But if I hear the fire alarm going off, then I do want you to command me which way to go to avoid the fire and to find the fire exit. And so I say again, that the, the greater the consequences are, the clearer the instructions need, need to be. And so I think it's interesting in, in, in our passage this morning that Paul gives a clear, a clear command about how we are to use our earthly wealth and our resources. And the only reason that I can think of why Paul would give a clear command, such a clear command, is because the fallout of the command is massive, either positively if we obey or negatively if we don't. So let's read verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We are still in the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, you know, I, I know that the 70-day Bible reading challenge is finished. Um, and the next one's been launched, actually. Uh, but, but uh, you, know, the, you know, there are some, you know, there was, there was one more passage which I felt God was asking me to speak on into your life. So 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And we'll just have a pause there. Those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, Paul is, of course, not saying here that wealth is a bad thing. 
but he's saying that earthly wealth can cause us to misplace our hope, and a hope misplaced is a dangerous thing. You see, if my hope is that the fire exit is that way, and I'm running that way, and what I thought was a fire exit turns out to be the door into a storage closet, and not an exterior door, then my hope is misplaced, and the consequences are massive. Really, I'm wagering my life on having my hope rightly placed. And Paul in our passage this morning seems to say that spiritually, our hopes need to be well placed. Read verse number 20 with me. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 20. It says, it says, Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so have left the faith, have departed from the faith. False, false knowledge can lead to shipwrecked faith. Friends, Paul is saying that if our hope is in anything except the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the consequences aren't worth thinking about. And from what we're reading in 1 Timothy 6, earthly wealth may be the greatest enemy to you trusting God wholeheartedly. You see, if it, it is our trust in the, in the gospel goodness of God that keeps us firmly grounded even through times of financial hardship. Romans 8 verse 32 says this. Romans 8 verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. So where is our, our hope? Where is our hope grounded? It's in Christ. It's in the cross. It's in the gospel. And, and what Romans 8 is saying to us is that if God gave, gave us Jesus, if he proved his faithfulness and his love with his own son, then of course he will give us everything else that we need. Now at this moment, you, you might be thinking that trusting in wealth is a bit of a rich person's sin. Well, if this is you and you're thinking, well, I don't have a lot of money, so I must be okay, think again. Being financially poor does not make you spiritual any more than being financially rich makes you unspiritual. We, we, we all have the temptation of putting our hope in wealth whether it's the actual wealth we have in our hands or the wealth that we wish we had. If only I had X amount of money, I would be okay. If only I had this much in the bank, I would be fine. Once I'm earning such and such, then I will start, you know, to tithe. So, Regardless of our tax bracket, we are, all, we, all, we are all tempted to put our hope in wealth, which is why Paul in 1 Timothy 6 speaks so strongly against it, right? But yeah, you are right. Here in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is actually highlighting those who are wealthy, and he warns them against one, an, an arrogant mindset, and he warns them against number two, putting their hope in wealth. And why does he say this? Well, it's simple. It's because wealth is so uncertain, he says. You, you being proud of your wealth is like you being proud of the weather this morning, this afternoon, it may well 
have changed. And if there's anything that we've learned over the past few weeks, it's that our source of money is indeed something that we, we cannot take for granted. Layoffs, job uncertainty, reduced hours, claiming EI, signing up for emergency cash injections, etc., etc. And so I wonder over these past few weeks, where has your hope been? Is your hope in economic recovery? Is your hope in one day getting back to work? Is your hope in the eventual lifting of the lockdown? In being able to work from the office rather than home? Paul says to us that if your hope is there, then it's misplaced hope. So where is our hope? Where, where, where should we place our hope? Verse 17, second half. So he says, um, yet to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now it's, it's likely that there were people in Timothy's church who were going through hard times and they were tempted to lose hope because their hope was in their wealth. And similarly, there were well-off folks in Timothy's church who, without realising it, were trusting in their nest egg rather than in, rather than in him, rather than, than in the Lord. And just like us, their wealth was not strong enough to hold the weight of their hope. Their wealth was not strong enough to hold the weight of their hope. Because for them, there was never enough money to truly feel secure. You know, the markets could change. Uh, you know, th things, um, you know th things could change in the marketplace, which would render their skill set no longer necessary. So much uncertainty. Friends, God is the only one who is, who is able to withstand the weight and the burden of your hope. Everything else will crumble under its weight. Your, your hope, your, your expectation, your hope of a, of a future which is bright is so massive and so hefty and so big and so heavy that it squashes and flattens anything underneath it. There is no load-bearing wall strong enough for your hope except one. Only God can bear the weight of your hope. And so for both the wealthy and the poor, Paul's advice is the same. He says, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. But do relocate your hope. Do relocate it. Your hope needs a new address, a new location. And this location is in God. And so in this time of financial uncertainty, I encourage you to place your hope in him. Why? Because Paul tells us that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now this word which is translated as enjoyment is only found two, uh, two times in the New Testament. And so this word isn't thrown around a lot. It's not a wasted word. It's a word that's rarely used. And yet in verse 17, we are told that in one of only two times it's used, that God richly provides us with everything for our, what? Enjoyment. And so the picture that, 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 uh, that's being painted here is of a God who wants you to be happy. 
And so the motivation to quit your obsession with money and to focus your affection on God is your happiness. It's your pleasure. It's your enjoyment. It's it's your joy. And we learn here that true joy is absolutely not linked in any way or form with how much money you have in the bank. Now, you may be thinking, well, God providing everything for my enjoyment, it doesn't sound very spiritual. Where's the cross and the suffering and the pain and the sacrifice? And yet here it is. It's here, here we see a God who calls us to trust in him because he's provided everything for our enjoyment. And so this is not a God who's, who, who says what we should do because it's the right thing to do or because if you don't, I'm going to beat you. Here is a God who, who says simply, you should go this way because joy is this way. Joy is not that way. Joy is that way. You don't see kids in McDonald's eating ice cream because their parents are threatening them with a stick. Kids eat ice cream because ice cream is great and yummy and it's enjoyable. So here we see a God who is really bountiful, who's really generous, who's, who, whose heart is great and who, and who actually cares about your enjoyment. He wants you to love life and to live well and to know joy. And the way to get there is that way. By r- removing your hope from wealth and placing your hope in him, you will f- and, and you will find in this action of relocating hope that it's a relief, it's a pleasure, it's enjoyable, it's fun. You literally take a load off when you relocate your hope. Now we get to Paul's second command. His his first was a negative one, don't do this. His second command is a positive one. Verse 18. Verse 18. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now, if, you know, here's, here, here, Here's how it works, right? If you're constantly obsessing over the fact that there's not enough, then for sure in your estimation there will never be enough. And if you think that there's never enough for you and your needs, then you will never know the joy of God funneling the the resources that he and his grace has, has, has entrusted you with so that you can communicate his love and his care into someone else's life. Friends, this, this, this past week, I've been so encouraged to see how, how, how you're, you're giving to God um, through, through, through Cornerstone. You know, has actually raised up over the last few weeks, even through this se- season of hardness and separateness. And so I love all the phone calls which I've had and that, and that, and, and that w- which we've had in the office from you asking how to e-transfer and that you are going out of your way to mail in envelopes and to drop off checks at the church. I love seeing uh, how God is showing me that we are a giving church even through this time of hardship. And so, you know, for for my part and for our part, um, we are minimizing our expenses, right? Uh, We are are learning how to to steward God's money wisely at this time. 
And I think it's incredible that you are stepping up to the plate, that, that you are proving through your actions where your hope lies. You are being generous and willing to share, as verse 18 tells us. And it is making a difference. You know, our, um, our youth pastor, Nathan, he's doing a wonderful job of ma- making meaningful connections with our teens through Zoom, through, 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 through Instagram, through sharing devotions, through sharing short little movies, through, um, through, you know, through hearing from the different youth leaders. And it's your giving that is making this happen. And each time I do premarital counselling, which I am at the moment, or I have the chance to speak into someone's life on the phone or through Zoom, it's because you are giving. And so I thank you that you are proving that God's faithfulness does not stop and that our ministry does not stop because of COVID-19. And yet it's so easy to bargain with him, right? You know, to say, Lord, I will start to give when I have enough money. But then God turns to you and to me and he says, start to do something good with the money that I've already given you and you will know what true provision is. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. It says this, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, right? And we saw that happen with all the, you know, all the shelves uh, free of any toilet paper, you know, um, a few weeks ago. Uh, For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom first. Okay, seek it. Hunt it, search high and low, make it your obsession. And all these things will be given to you as well. When, you know, when we're faced with Jesus and his kingdom and his glory, all of these things kind of fade into the background because you assume rightly so that God will look after them. So seek first his, uh, God's kingdom. But what does God's kingdom look like? What is this kingdom that is ours for the seeking? Romans 14 verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of, right, of, of eating and, drink, and, and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When your hope is in God, you transfer from a realm in which survival of the fittest is the name of the game and you transfer into a realm where righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is a daily reality. So which are you experiencing at the moment? Are you experiencing the uncertainty of wealth or are you experiencing righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? Which would you rather know? The uncertainty of wealth or righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here I have a closed fist and an open hand. And a closed fist says, what I have is mine. I've earned it. I've worked the hours. I'm a self-made man or woman. Whereas an open hand says, God, thank you for the blessing of these resources. Show me how to use them for your glory 
and for the good of others. Friends, as long as we're closed-fisted, we are solely responsible for our enjoyment. You know, as long as we exist in this mode, we are never able to receive what God has for us. This God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. While we are closed-fisted, uh, we will never be able to access God's alternate and infinitely greater source of enjoyment. Now, this isn't a, a salvation issue. You can be saved and closed-fisted. So it's not a salvation issue, but it is a joy issue, an enjoyment issue. You see, a closed fist can receive nothing, but with an open hand, the possibilities are endless. This closed fist has a meager capacity for joy. It's just that little space within the middle of these clenched fingers. But the open hand has unlimited capacity for joy. It's like when Mufasa says to Simba, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. Right? But what if Simba had said at that moment, well, thanks, Father, but how can I know that for sure, that all of this is ours, that all of this is mine? But this little patch of dirt which I'm standing on, I know that this exists. This is mine. I can feel it. I can experience it. I can touch it. Out there is a promise. It's a dream. Here is reality. I know what I have. And so if it's all the same to you, Father, I'll stay right here. Well, that's what we do when we trust in our, our piddly little wealth rather than opening our hands to God's unlimited great resources. Friends, if, if, if you're a couple or a family or, 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 you know, even if you're single, I would encourage you after this service, maybe over lunch, to read through the grapple and grow questions which are in the worship booklet and to let these questions lead you further um, with what God has been saying to us this morning. Let's end on verse 19. Verse 19 of 1 Timothy 6. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In this way. In what way? In refusing to put our hope in wealth, but instead placing our hope in God and letting this hope in God overflow in good deeds and practical generosity. Friends, there is a life that is just making it through. And there is a life that is truly life. And it's nothing to do with social restrictions. And Paul shows us that the life that is not truly life has me at the centre. It's a self-referential, small-minded, small-hearted, little life. It's a life that lacks significance because it goes no further than my, my own little kingdom. But the life that is truly life, truly life, has God at the centre, and it and it it cannot help but overflow in generosity and in kindness. Think again of that open hand that God is pouring blessings into this hand which is open, and the blessings flow onwards. Verse nineteen shows us that 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 this choice to relocate our hope starts a journey now that will ultimately end in God's very presence 
It's a firm foundation for the coming age, as Paul says. And so heaven is this life that is truly life. But this life starts now. This moment that we choose to live for God and for each other and not for ourselves. And so let me ask you this, regardless of your bank balance or your age, if you're a teenager or a child, if you're a grown-up, if you're a senior, it really doesn't matter. Let me ask you this, what can you do this week to lay up further treasures for yourself? What can you do this week to reinforce your belief that your hope is not in the uncertainty of wealth, but is rather in the Lord? Is there someone you know who needs money? Might you, you be the means or the avenue through which God truly blesses them? Maybe you could leave a Walmart gift card under a stranger's wind, windscreen wiper with a little note on it that simply says, Jesus loves you. Many ideas. What can you do? Because here's what I know. If we all refused to place our hope in wealth and resources which are uncertain and instead used our uncertain resources and wealth to invest God's hope into other people's lives, then we would see the ripple effect of, of, of gospel generosity spreading throughout our community. So, friends, how can you be God's UPS service this week bringing a delivery of hope into someone's life because as you do this you will know this truth that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment nothing but God can bear the weight of your hope so rest your hope in him and him alone